This morning comes to our second of a four-part series, what was I thinking, <laughs> about the human condition. Last week we looked at the first story in the Bible, Genesis 1, the first creation story about the seven-day process. You know that passage pretty well, I suspect. We talked about how that passage represents Adam 1, that is male and female 1. And today's passage is what's known as the second creation story. It actually is older than the first one, most scholars say. However, this story in dealing with who we are, I would like to say, reveals us as Adam two, male and female, Adam two, man, woman, two. Hear now the word of God as it comes to us from the book of Genesis, verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, and then verses 15 through 25. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had sent no rain on the earth, and there was no man, person, to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, knowledge of all things. From verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good. That word is only used twice in Hebrew scripture, not good both times referring to it's not good to be lonely. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man gushed 
This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of me, man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Mold us into those who hear, O God. Pot us into empty vessels to receive your word. In Christ's name, amen. If you tuned in last week, you heard enough about Adam 1, the story in Genesis 1 about God creating the heavens sequentially. The sixth day, God creates man and woman. Seemed pretty well intact. One, two, three, four, five, six, and on the seventh day, God rested. And God created Adam one, male and female, in God's image, so that Adam one, us, would care for and steward God's creation, giving us dominion over it and to subdue it, which simply harkens back to the kingly royal representative who is sent to a foreign country to have dominion over it as the king does and as a likeness, an image of that king by being there as the representative. That's who and what we're called to be. Caring for, nurturing, stewarding God's kingdom. But to be in God's image is not just that, it's also to have the gift of language, to articulate this this artful gift and ability to use language to help subdue or control things. As God spoke to create the heavens and the earth, saying, let there be, so we speak as God speaks through us, hopefully, when we are living fully into being the human being that God intends for us to be. Very good human being, God said in Genesis 1. Which is why I don't like the adage, he's only human. We say it about someone who messes up. Actually, when we use our language to deceive and hurt, and overpower and destroy, it means that we are not only human, we are less than human as God created us. If you want to know what fully human looks like, it's Jesus. He was fully human. What less than human looks like is Putin and all the other people in the world who sell the big lies for their own power. That's less than human. In this first creation story, we are created human with language and agency and drive and consciousness and choice and responsibility to be God's stewards of this creation. Not for ourselves, but for creation's sake, for others' sake. 
Adam 1, from the word ha'adamah, the same word used again in the second story of creation, meaning good red earth, as Nat told us, meaning as in from dust to dust and ashes to ashes. Sounds sort of foreboding. David Brooks used these categories, Adam 1 and 2, in his bestseller, The Road to Character, and he got it, I think, from the same place I did, Rabbi Jonathan Solvichik, who titled his book written in 1965, The Lonely Man of Faith. He pointed out that Adam 1 seeks to fulfill God's command to fill the earth and subdue it, that Adam 1 seeks majesty and dignity, and Adam 1's goal is to harness and dominate the natural elemental forces and to put them at his disposal. He, she seeks to vanquish disease, conquer space, forge political structures, create things of beauty and legislate laws. Adam 1's endeavors are legitimate, even mandated by God, who wills that we creatively steward our environment. And that creativity manifests the image of God in us when we do it. We, we wouldn't be able to see this image on your bulletins this morning if it were not for Adam 1's. For Adam 1's are the ones who ask themselves how, when, how and when and where can we find the materials to build something that will show us the heavens and the earth. They're, they're engineers, they're mechanics, they're, they're, they're technology people. They are basically black and white. That's a good thing, not a bad. And we should probably be more of that in our own lives, more rational. There's also a dark side to it when we only see it as black and white, moving step by step by step in a process without ever asking the deeper questions of why and what does it mean. When we do that step by step and follow the command of whoever it is that commands us, then we also can end up in lockstep like those jackbooted Nazis in Germany who didn't meditate on the law enough day and night to ask the deeper question, what does this mean? Adam too comes along, and this is my translation, not the Bible, so hang in there with me. On the first day when God made the heavens and the earth, the first thing God did was Michelangelo'd, I'm turning it into a verb, Michelangelo'd a human figure by reaching his hands into the good red dirt of earth, the dust of the ground, and molded it, formed it into a clay figure of voila, Adam, from Adama, dirt. And unlike those idols, and figures that 
The foreigners in this day would carry with them as images of their gods who were lifeless and had to be formed in order to have something to sacrifice to, unlike those images that had no life. God breathes God's breath into this now clay form and it becomes a human being breathing a, re, a resuscitate, no, not re, a suscitated human being. And with that first inhale, exhale, Adam now becomes the first human being, according to this story, who represents to us what God's plan for creation looks like in its fulfillment. It was mouth to mouth or mouth to nostril, and it, it, it is as close as any particular story of how we have ever been created comes to showing the deeply passionate intimacy of God's willingness to be close to us. Breathing God's life-giving breath into us. And unlike the first story of creation, this is not the last thing God created, but the first thing God creates. And what God does is in this human being, God places him in the garden to be the master of all master gardeners in this garden of Eden, which means delight. It's a paradise of luscious plants, trees for food, actual vine ripened tomatoes, not those plastic little things, hard, anemic, white dotted little things that we buy at the store claiming to be vine, right? I'm talking about the real thing we used to be able to get in Eastern North Carolina. <laughs> and, out of, and out of that garden come, come the trees of the ground and God, and God says, these are all yours. However, there's one small catch, a prohibition about the one tree you cannot eat, the tree of of knowledge of goodness and evil, as I said, of all things. Notice there's no apple tree here. That comes later. Not in the Bible, by the way. And it has nothing to do with your cell phones. <laughs> God being God is a relational, covenantal, communal God who understood in God's own self enough what it means to be alone, you see. And it's not good, which may be one reason God chose to create creation, to share it in community. God tried, this is like, you know, God's on the job trainee part. God tried to resolve Adam's loneliness by sending him the animals that he could name and, and hoping that one of them would solve his, his lonely sense of life. And, and Adam names them all. And, I, you know, even the golden retriever, who, who, if any animal can do it, is the one who resolves all loneliness. Even the golden retriever was not enough to resolve it. So God figures it out. You know, 
What he needs is another human. And so in his divine anesthesiologist role, he puts Adam to sleep and takes a piece of DNA out of him and morphs him into his partner. Adam's name, man in this text, is Ish. And, and the woman's name is Isha, showing that Ish is sort of one-sided and single-focused and, and not very complicated, and Isha has a lot more going for her with two syllables. Really, it's, it's human being 2.0. And Adam wakes up and has this beatific vision and sees standing before him like a 16-year-old looking at his first love, gushing, at last it's bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called Isha. These are the first words recorded in the Bible by a human being. It's a love poem. The story is not saying this is the only kind of intimate relationship we can have. But it is the only kind of intimate relationship we can have in order to fulfill God's call for us to fill the earth. It is the only kind of intimate relationship we can have for procreation. Which is why God says to them, it's a little marriage counseling at the end tacked on, as if there were such things as fathers and mothers when Adam and Eve were created. You see the anachronism of this? Don't think like a Greek person. Think like a Hebrew. Doesn't matter to them. God says at the end, Therefore a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. Those are the only words I remember Jesus saying about marriage counseling. You leave your father and mother, and you become one flesh, which means that we have to leave our family dynamics, we can't ever do it, but we got to work at it, our struggle to leave the nest. Why is it that human beings are the only creature that cannot push our children from the nest without strings attached? <laughs> and the story ends in a sort of happily ever after utopia, and the man and his wife were both Naked, and yet they were not ashamed, pointing to what true vulnerability and intimacy looks like. Even before what some people call the fall, which comes in chapter 3, I'm going to argue a little bit against that next week, by the way. That'll get you going. <laughs> Even before that, you have to see into the text there is, there is no freedom from conflict in this story. Even in Eden, life is full of it, and paradox, and complications, and struggles, and temptations. Even in Eden, the first humans are pushed and pulled from the dialectical, the, the opposite forces that both together make the thesis, the, the center right, the dialectical forces from being made in the ground of God and living truly out of the breath of God. The ground of our being is both and. 
There's a conflict of prohibition. You can't eat that tree. And the more they walked by it, you just know, the more they walked by it, they looked at it. I mean, they were, they were literally stuffing themselves with everything they could get their hands on but that one prohibited tree. Why is it that the one thing we're told we cannot have is the very thing we want the most of? Like Anita telling me that I cannot touch the brand new plate of brownies that she just made until they cool off. Didn't work. <laughs> Sorry. I remember in Italy visiting a little town going on the way to Cinque Terre. And, and that was the night before, so I went on a walk to find a tobacco store because my friend Tim Powers in Atlanta likes to smoke cigars. And he likes Cuban cigars, or at least I assumed he did, and you can't buy them in the United States. So I went to the tobacco store to find one. And when I walked in the door, the wizened owner of the store looked up at me, knowing immediately that I was American. Like, what's the first clue? The backpack I'm wearing? Or the multicolored clothes? And he looks at me and says, where are you from? I said, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. He goes, I, I know where that is. What do you do? I said, well, I'm, I'm a preacher. I'm a minister. He goes, I love religion. <laughs> I used to be Catholic. I love being Catholic. Because Catholic says the only time that you can be intimate with your wife is if you're trying to procreate. That prohibition made intimacy so much better. <laughs> What's that about? While golden retrievers may want you to be the kind of person they think you are, that's what God is saying here, once you add a human being to the mix, you both end up wanting the other person to be the kind of person you want them to be that they don't think they are, like less arguing and cleaner bathrooms and less golf or shopping. I have never yet seen anybody come to marriage counselor who is willing to own up to the fact that the person they are about to say yes to will not ultimately change their character. You can adapt them a little bit, but ultimately who you have now is who you're gonna have then. And that's so hard to hear. Then about two years later, they come back and say, can you go over that part one more time? <laughs> you see, this is what separates Adam one from Adam two. Adam one is not complicated not self-conscious, asks few questions, little reflection or introspection, and apparently not lonely. Just puts his head down, hands on the plow, and gets the job done, and if the plow doesn't work, invents something better that does. The second story goes way deeper than that. It provides with, uh, for us the energy that innervates what true relationships are all about, the spiritual and biological interaction of all things that seem to be so opposite that bring together so much that is real.
We get no hint of that in the first story. It's full of that in this one. Rabbi Solshevik wrote in his book, here's how he defines Adam too. Not so interested in how things work, but in why the cosmos exists at all and the meaning it carries. In his inner life, he experiences loneliness, which is awareness of his differentness and uniqueness, making it impossible for anyone to truly understand us as we try to communicate who we are. Adam one never sensed this. He had co-workers in an assembly line fashion and that's enough for community. Adam two cannot function, cannot function this way unless finding a deeply held covenant of love and intimacy and vulnerability to share this world with as God has chosen to do so with us. We had a man like Adam one in my church in Atlanta. He was a, he sold life insurance. He was great. He was always fun and funny. He was life of the party. And he'd come to my Bible study and we'd go into the darkness, you know, we'd go into the weeds with stuff and people would tell, just sort of open their guts and tell their story. And it, after all of that, Bill wouldn't say much. And I'd look at him and say, so Bill, what do you think? He says, look, I really appreciate y'all sharing all that and going into that, those dark places. But, but I gotta tell you, I, I just as soon live my life without having to go there. I, I like, you know that movie, The Unbearable Lightness of Being? That's the way I try to live. And so I, I, I just soon be the happy idiot. And we all laughed. There's value in that. It's easy to get lost wallowing around in your own darkness. It's easy to get lost being consumed by the particular news channels that we watch. But we cannot become fully human in the sense that God wants us to be without a struggle, without meditating on the law day and night. And Adam too is the one that belongs to that place better than one who thirsts for the waters like a tree planted by the stream. Adam one looks at our bulletin picture and says, wow, how did they do that? Adam two looks at that bulletin picture and says, oh my God, this creation was formed 13.2 billion years ago out of whatever, and we are getting a light sent back to us that's just a billion years less than that. Adam too sees this picture and falls on her knees in awe and reverence. We had another man in our Bible study who thanks to AA had been sober for 15 years. After Adam one spoke, he said, look, Bill, I understand what you mean. But I, I got to share a little different experience. I, I messed my life up bad, he said. I thought I was in control of myself and everybody else, but it wasn't me, it was the alcohol that was in control. I thought I was invincible until I fell. And I found out the hard way that I was so out of control, I didn't think there was any way back. 
So I joined AA and found this sponsor in Gainesville, Florida, who happened to be a chicken farmer. And he agreed to sponsor me as long as I went up from Atlanta to Gainesville to meet him. And when I got there, we walked around his chicken farm and it had that acrid, nasty smell of chicken waste, almost gagged, he said. And, and as we're walking along, I thought I'd just open up with a little easy question. I said, can you help me understand the, the, first, the first law of AA, of the 12 steps, that, that we have to give ourselves up to a higher power? And the chicken farmer walked a little bit and pulled out a chaw of tobacco and stuck it in his mouth and chomped on it a few times and then spit it down on the ground. He goes, yeah. What that means is there is a God and you ain't him. <laughs> this is the best definition I know of being human to living fully into this dialectical both and reality and conflict between being almost like God and from the ground up. Next week we will see from what follows how hard this is to live by God's intended way in the world. But for now, let us just be open to the possibility that as God's human beings, life itself can fill us up because it too is full of God's breath that we are not spiritual beings trying to make our way up out of the world, but we are embodied material beings, spiritual beings who find the very presence of God in the world, in you and me together, and, and, in, this, and in this wonderful world of dirt and sea and ground and conservation. There's an old Chinese proverb that I like to say when we do internment uh, services, we put the ashes in the ground from dust to dust and ashes to ashes in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds so final. And I tell this story of Adam too when God takes the dust and the dirt and fold, molds it into a human being and then blows God's breath into it and I say at the end, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, death is God's in-breath. Don't you love that? Death is God's breathing us back in the very breath that God breathed back out to create us at our being. It's a human condition. You gotta love it.